How remarkable those events in the face of such oppression, such bad stuff going on. That little story is the beginning of something of change, of hope, of possibilities. It's amazing how quickly things can change. The sun can go behind a cloud. It can suddenly feel cold. Ooh, thought it might be warmer than this. Someone comes to power and things change overnight. That's what happened in this story. A political change of leadership. A new king knew nothing about Joseph. And in this chapter, explicit mention is made of Joseph and of the story that we've heard in weeks past. Of all that's happened to Joseph. But this new king knew nothing of Joseph. He didn't appreciate who he was. Scholars are not sure exactly who the Pharaoh was at this time. It's a good chance it was Ramesses II, who was an ambitious leader. It's one of these people, when you think of the, Israel, the, the Egyptians and all that they built, there's two things you can see in that picture. What do you see in that picture? What do you reckon? Slavery. You see slavery. You're right. What else do you see? It's interesting, in that picture you see the slavery straight away. Good man. Sorry? You see beautiful temples. Two things alongside each other. You see slavery and you see beautiful temples. Because Ramesses II was highly ambitious that Egypt regain its glory. And he moved his court back over towards the Nile Delta. It's interesting that to get this work done, he needed slave labor. He needed, he needed people that he could pick on and use for his ambitious plans. And he spotted the Hebrew people. He spotted the Jews. And he started saying, we've got a statement in that first chapter where he says they're increasing in number. And it's very much a political statement. It's, very, it's not an objective fact because it's two things that are interesting about it. One, he overemphasizes the number of people that were there at the time who were Hebrew people. He overemphasizes their number. And secondly, the word increasing in that part, he uses a word that's used for marine life, for insects. Swarm is the word actually that was used. He says these people are swarming. Makes me think back to the Rwandan genocide when the call went out that these cockroaches be eliminated. What horrible political language is used so that he can realize the glory of Egypt. He becomes obsessed with the Israelite people and just the hatred of them builds and builds and he gets neurotic about it and finds that they get bigger and bigger and he, he finally, he throws them into the, into the Nile. First of all, he enslaves them. Then he wants the Hebrew boys killed. And finally he throws them into the Nile. And recognizing the Nile for the Egyptians was one of their greatest gods. Because the Nile came to embody all that Egypt was. Its source of goodness. Its creativity. Its life. The Nile was a god to be worshipped. And so literally throwing these foreigners, these immigrants... These, these, these people are just rubbish anyway, just, just useful for building things and treating in this kind of way. Let's throw them into the Nile. It's a very symbolic statement at the end of that chapter that we, that we read. 
But what were the Israelite people doing in Egypt? Makes you scratch your head. Because hadn't God suggested that they go there? We've read that in Genesis chapter 46. God says to Jacob, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. God has said that in Genesis 46. And many of the go down Moses, we we know the later story. We come in at this looking retrospectively. That Egypt became to symbolize for the people of Israel the place of oppression. It was a bad word, Egypt. Down in Egypt. But we have the inklings of hope, the beginnings of this story. Exodus is the story of Moses. And Moses was the greatest prophet that Israel ever had. That's how the Jews see Moses. But today's story is not about him. Who can spot the heroes in today's story? Who are the heroes or heroines in today's story? It's not Moses. It's the midwives. Pua and Shifra who defy the mighty Pharaoh. And very cleverly, in their reply, they're asked to kill Hebrew boys. And they, first of all, the language they use goes within Pharaoh's own language. He says, they say to him, but we sorry, we, we just don't get there on time. These women have their children and we arrive too late because they are like animals in the way that they just spew their children forth. Buying into his imagery of these people are less than human. And so he, he accepts that, even though we know fine well that they're playing games and this isn't actually the case. And so the mighty Pharaoh is defied. And yet I bet you they didn't think they were changing the world. They were doing their job. They were midwives. A number of people, that, and the best of people, they say, well, I'm just doing my job. It's just my job. Faithful in our service of humanity, of our love for one another, going that extra mile, the best of humanity. They were heeding the call of their conscience, doing what seemed right to them. And yet this was an incredibly risky thing for these women to do. It's ironic that Pharaoh is concerned about men and it's women in front of him undermine his plans unsuccessfully. And yet there's something more profound about what's being done here and what's being said by this act by these midwives. Because they are counteracting the psychology of hatred and fear. I would suggest their gracious defiance is important because it blurs the distinction that Pharaoh wants to make between us and them. Their actions, midwives, in saving Hebrew children, blurs that distinction and says, we are people. People are people. Beware of anyone or anything that tells us, in our age, anything different. People are people. Again, recently, a few weeks ago, we hear the term mindless violence being used. Very dangerous term. I don't think there's ever a reason that we don't do something. There's always factors underlying things. And this morning I noticed that Tony Blair has gone and said, it's a small dysfunctional group of families. Young people are at the root of this and that's what we need to deal with. 
I get nervous when I hear about that. Because we live in a much more interconnected web in our society. And I wonder if those responsible for getting us into this situation need to be seen to be paying the price for that and not simply those at the sharp end for whom I completely do not condone the actions but believe there's causes that are more profound than simply disaffected youth. We as Christians need to look at the heart of things and think about what God is telling us about ourselves in the situation. Think back to that quote we had to the start. Let us be less finger-pointing and more reflective in our response to these situations. But there's two other heroes, heroines, that are worth mentioning. The midwives, who else? Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter, out of her humanity, hears the cry of this baby, has pity on this child, and she recognises it's a Hebrew baby. We explicitly know that. And so she has the courage to defy her brother and say, no, this child is beautiful. There's something that I am attracted to this child. I love the beauty in this human being. Actually, I want this human being. I love it so much I want to to do the right thing by it and to help it grow up. And then Miriam, just amazing quick-wittedness. How often I wish I could do this. In the heat of the situation, you wish later you'd said something. You know, how often I think of that. I wish I'd done that. How quick-witted in the face of this for her to suddenly appear out of hiding probably and say, excuse me, um, princess, I could find the baby's mother for you to help bring the child up. Genius! But how bold can you get? My goodness me. And the princess assents to this. And so... Moses doesn't go and live with the princess straight away, but goes back to his mother. Now, God is working fantastic things in the story because God is undermining the will of the mighty Pharaoh, laying seeds for future hope, and guaranteeing Moses' safety because he's now guaranteed the safety of a royal household. No one's going to touch him because they know who he is. What a brilliant spin on that situation! As we come to an end, I want to think again about our part in God's world. Yes, this is Glasgow. Brad Pitt's making a new movie there. It's costing millions of pounds. Now, many of us, if we ever see World War Z, a zombie film... You might not know it's even Glasgow because they're making it look like Philadelphia. (laughs) Uh, It's just the world in which we live. The layer upon layer of money that's spent for particular reasons. They're making Glasgow look like Philadelphia, so they're changing. And they're spending thousands and thousands of pounds on that to get the scenery right for the story to take place. To get the story to take place. Exodus chapter 1 and 2 are setting the scene for the story of Moses to take place. Sometimes in our lives, we always want to be the main actor in the the spotlight. But we are always in God's vision. We're always part of the scene. And some of us, nearly all the time, are involved in making the scene happen, in setting things up, as well as doing things. We're all involved in that. 
We are people of faith that choose life. Choose life. How in our world today we need to do that? To understand what that means, to choose life, to ask questions, to say, oh, hold on, let's not rush to blame those people. Let's look at that more profoundly. And where is God in this story? God is in the eyes and ears and heart of the midwife who are God-fearing. Isn't it wonderful when you come upon a stranger who's God-fearing? Even maybe somebody of a different country or of a different religion whose respect for humanity and for God and for the holy is really high, is really impressive. That was the case with these midwives. God is with the midwives. God is with the mother who's motivated by the attachment to her child. And God is there in the small cry from the bulrushes. Wonderfully subversive. Here's this mighty Pharaoh with all his guns and his tanks and his weaponry. And the biggest threat is that small cry from the bulrushes somewhere in that part of the world. Sets the scene for a story of liberation. Makes us think as Christians the small cry of a baby born in Palestine 2,000 years ago. At a time when the world was its darkest. When people were oppressive and abusing one another. God slipped in in human form and a baby cried. Let us, in our world, be part of what God's doing. Recognize that God calls us to be change makers. Help us to be people of faith that hold fast to what is true. And don't give up on the truth. Help us stand in the line of these midwives and be the people that God calls us to be. Let's pray. God, we thank you for working in our lives. So often we don't yet understand where we fit in the picture. And we too quickly think that you're not at work in our lives. And God, we ask your forgiveness for that. You know, we can feel like a mouse in a complex and pained world. God, in the decisions we make this week, help us. In our feelings, help us. In our families and friends, help us to be the change makers that your love wants to be for this world. We pray this for your sake and for your glory. Amen.